Every day I walked in there, I was so happy. It felt really weird. I really read them like, is this normal? But um, it really, a really awesome experience. Wait, 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 hold on a sec, hold on a sec. So you were <laughs> in, a, in a cyber operations role and you were happy. Yes. <laughs> what drugs are you on? And can you hook me up with your dealer? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship and everything in between. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today we have Kenneth Ellington, cybersecurity coach and founder of the Ellington Cyber Academy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you here. We will start where we usually do. So give us that uh, quick and dirty history of how you got into cyber. Sure thing. So I started out in cyber back in college. Initially, I was a business management major. I pivoted towards IT and cybersecurity eventually. I kind of got my chance um, when I worked in the public supermarkets. So anybody that lives in like the Southeast United States, that's where you shop mm-hmm. at the best place ever. Don't shop at Walmart, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> um, so I worked there for over four and a half years. Um, and I want to kind of specialize and narrow down from IT and better job prospects. So one of the big things I tell all our, all our students is let people know what your true, true desires are. So when you're not in a room, people can speak on your behalf, right? The clothes maps right. don't get fed basically. So mm-hmm. I let my manager know that I wanted to do cybersecurity. And then like two weeks later, she's like, Hey, Kenneth, the director of cybersecurity for Publix is going to come towards your store in a couple of weeks. Do you want to meet him? I'm like, yes, of course. And from there, I met him. He sat me down. He went over step-by-step instructions, what he needed me to do to be on, on his internship team next year. I did everything that he asked of me. I fast for nine months. I interviewed for, I interviewed for the position, and I get it. That's how I started right. cybersecurity, basically. So I was a threat intelligence analyst for them. Um, I would say it's probably the best experience I've had, honestly, in my career. That was the first time I truly understood what it meant to like love your job. Every day I walked in there, I was so happy. It felt really weird. I really read them like, is this normal? But um, it really had a really awesome experience. Wait, 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 hold on a sec, hold on a sec. So you were in a, in a cyber operations role and you were happy. Yes. <laughs> what drugs are you on? And can you hook me up with your dealer? <laughs> it was just, it's like a really awesome experience. I got to meet all the executives, the CEO, the CFO of the company. We got paid launches. We toured all, all their facilities. They actually had me do real work. So I did threat intelligence projects and that got implemented inside of our actual enterprise system. So I learned a lot. Um, it's just an awesome experience. Everyone's super friendly too. Nice. Sweet. nice. That's a, that's a really great story. And I think there's things in that story, which we're going to get to. Um, but yeah, so we'll start here. You're on the practitioner side for all intents and purposes. So I get first crack. You occupy two worlds. By day, you're on the practitioner side, which probably means you're on the receiving end of sales outreach. And we talk about that on the show all the time. It's probably impersonal. It could be totally cold. You're like, dude, I'm not the right person. You don't have to be calling me about this. But you run your own business on the side. You run this cyber academy, which we're also going to talk about. So I'm curious about like how you take some of those experiences. Like, What have you taken that either has worked or repels you? And you're like, I'm not going to do that. And how do you, so how do you like balance those two things when you're doing business development for your academy? I would say from like the practitioner side, 
it can get kind of annoying sometimes. Like people don't have really good people skills. Like they don't know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why? They, I'm like, how do you get hired in these positions, right? Um, people, people reach out towards me, ask me for help. I'm like, you can say hello to me. You're asking for either money or for a job. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I don't even know who you are, right? I can't refer you. I don't know your skill set. I don't know like who you are. Either mm-hmm. that, or they're trying to sell me some product, right? I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the executive. I can't buy this. I, I don't have that type of power. Um, so it gets like really annoying sometimes. Like people don't know how to talk to people or reach out. Um, so going from that towards me running my own business, right? And we actually had the conversation last night for class, like telling my students how to actually properly reach out towards people, right? If they want to connect with someone like um, you two Georges, um, like how to network, how to um, talk to hiring managers, right? That's a, that's a super important skill, right? Because ultimately at the end of the day, the way I've always looked at it is everyone is their own business, right? And you, you need to learn how to invest in yourself and market yourself properly, no matter what field you're in for cybersecurity. And so one, one of the analogies I use, and they laughed at it, is you wouldn't ask someone to have sex with you like the man to meet them on the first date, right? That's super awkward and super weird. Um, we have said that same thing on this show. Oh, and okay. George works in the dating space, and he's like, dude, you don't try to close, like, at hello. So, like... That's how, that's how some people are. And I'm just like, that's not how it works. It's, like, really, it's like really weird and really uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah. So the thing that um, I, I try to tell people is like, because we're, we're, you know, sidebar, we may or may not be writing a book about everything we've learned on our show in the year plus we've been doing this. But uh, one of the things we're kind of talking about, um, basic art of networking, and I think we'll get to this later in this episode as well. Um, you get to know someone new. If you have something you want from them, the, the whole point of building trust is to talk to them about literally anything but the actual thing you want and connect <laughs> them as a human being. Yeah. Some people don't either they don't they don't want to learn that or they don't seem to understand that process. And it shows itself every day. Um, I get photos inbox messages. I'm like, you guys need to learn how to actually properly talk to people. And I and I probably feel that colleges don't do a very good job of doing that. Um, I had to learn the hard way. Um, people just let me in red. I'm like, why is this not working? So I just kind of naturally learned how to talk to people from my job at Publix. Um, really helped me out with that. So that's one of the big things that I've tried to bring. From my practitioner side on how to actually talk to people and network with people for my students. But I, I see that lacking so many times and it bothers me a lot. Nice. All right. Over to you, George. Thank you. And like, uh, I don't know, man, I, I like it. You were kind of, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> it's really like you just, you kind of understand a lot of the nuances of like the human interaction piece of the business that we do as practitioners. So even in, in just your statement there, you know, just key in on the fact that universities actually don't teach you how to do the physical interaction of business. They teach you principles, they teach you PowerPoints, they teach you fancy graphs, they tell you about boards, but no one actually teaches you the schoolyard, like, hey, just go up to someone and say hi, figure <laughs> out what they're about. Um, so I'm really impressed with what you've managed to, to do, building yourself up as an instructor in the field, like so relatively fresh at a university. It's rather inspiring that you've gained such a deep understanding that you've now dedicated yourself to teaching others. Like, I know that, um, you know, I know some people that have decades in the game that still can't explain, you know, log telemetry or security architecture in a language easy enough for a general audience to understand, in particular, you know, a non-technical board that has to pay for the investment. Tell us, um, tell us about how you really gain seam and soar process automation proficiency in such a relatively short period of time 
absent of, you know, the years and, and like having at least six different logos on your resume, that kind of thing. And people always ask me, like, can I how'd you get inside security so quickly? For me, it was just I love public but I didn't like my job when I was a daily worker. Right? People curse at me over like a six dollar sandwich threatening me. I'm like, guys, like, it's a box of chicken. Like it's not that important. So I just got tired of that, right? When I figured out that cybersecurity was what I wanted to do, right? Um, in my mind, nobody, nothing was gonna stop me from reaching my goals. And I made sure that was gonna happen. So I dedicated like the next two years of my life basically to doing that. Um, some days I slept in my car because I was too tired to drive back home from class. Um, sometimes I worked or I went to school and worked 20 hours a day. And then I got four hours of sleep and I did the same thing over like three days in a row. Right. It was hard, but I'm here right now. So it's been completely worth it. But the biggest thing I'd probably say, um, is me taking away something positive from every situation that I've been in. So for me, I'm naturally a very introverted person, which I guess surprising people because I do all this stuff. Um, but I naturally like to be by myself. Um, so for me, I was trying to figure out from like the business aspect, right? Because that's, that's what my natural background is, right? How do people connect with people, right? Why why does someone care that I'm telling them about my cybersecurity topic or the technology stack, right? Because at, at the end of the day, a lot of people just care about the bottom line. And if I can't relate towards them, why implementing Splunk, KeyRadar, XOR, Splunk Phantom is going to save them money or save them time, then they're not going to care, right? And I won't get paid and then my then my team won't get paid. And I, and I don't want that to happen. So I learned that very quickly, right? Um, especially in consulting, right? These like big time CEOs and executives, right? They don't really care about the technical aspects of it. They're like, hey, if I if I have, if I implement Smug, how much will it cost us? If I don't implement Smug, how much will it actually cost us, right? If you can't tell me that, then I don't really care what you're talking about. Um, so it took me a little bit to figure out how that's actually done. And I'm, I've been teaching my students those important topics as well. What my biggest takeaway from that, and like you are correct, like in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, sweet, you're kind of already ready to be a CISO, basically, because that's our job is like, translation. You to, yeah, you got to quarterback the cost, uh, cost benefit analysis. But I, I really like the fact that your mindset is just like, guys, it's just a box of chicken, right? Like, focus on what's actually important. <laughs> I really appreciate that, Kenneth. Thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get back to the networking aspect, right? So this clearly played an important role in how you were able to upskill quickly, right? Like seizing that opportunity to meet the director of cybersecurity, then, okay, just asking or talking about what do I need to do to apply for this position and kind of working through that. We just talked about the soft skills or what we're calling now the vital skills. I have, I've decided that this year, we're not calling them soft anymore. So you, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to give you some space to talk about it a little bit more. How are you advising your academy students to use networking to advance their careers? I know you talked about like, you know, don't go off and ask people for a job, but like, what else are you getting into in those conversations? So the way I like to frame it is like building your brand and building your interpersonal skills. Um, so when you, for example, so for my local students, when they live in Dallas or like I live in Dallas, I'll take them to different cybersecurity events, different meetups as well. So one of my students, Hazel, um, we helped her get a job at Samsung. So now she's a security engineer. She's very, very naturally shy by her nature, right? So one of the things I tried to push her to do is come out of her shell a bit more. So I, I've been getting her to do some technical presentations on Splunk and some security topics over the past couple of months. Twofold, right? One, it gets to showcase her technical skills towards hiring managers that are often there at those at the presentations. Nice. And then the second portion would be 
for her to actually um, talk to different people, right, and come out of out of her shell, right, and just realize, hey, everyone's a normal human being, right? Even these big wig people, they put in their shoes and their pants at the same time as ours, right? Then maybe like Versace shoes, right? But they're still shoes, right? <laughs> um, so just learning how to like communicate with people from that aspect is super important, right? And then think about from like a long term perspective, right? Those hiring managers may not have a job for you at the moment, but they may remember you two years down the line when they're actually trying to build a new team because they're at, um, at a new company. And just making sure you're first of mind when that comes about is super important. Nice. I dig that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually how it works. Like, um, kind of my, my approach to doing uh, talent development and building my own pipeline revolves around that is just like building relationships with folks that I want to work with in the future that, you know, maybe I don't have the headcount for right now, but if you have that relationship and it's good, could be six months, could be a year, could be two years from now. But if that job opens up, you know, I'll go right to you. And I think that's exactly the same logic, right? Absolutely. It takes time for all these relationships to come to fruition, basically. All right. So let's shift gears back to practitioner talk. George, I'm sorry, man. Just we have another practitioner on. So I got to talk to cyber, man. Okay. So humor me, Kenneth. Uh, Given the state of the emerging threat landscape powered by uh, AI enhanced social engineering and malicious scripting, how do you find the time to keep up to date on the latest trends in the field? And what's your opinion on some of the bigger threats coming down the horizon, like quantum computing? Like, how can the cyber pros of today and tomorrow be better prepared for those threats coming up on the horizon? So from the first part of your question, um, because I'm an instructor, I kind of have to do it um, by nature, right, for my students. So as part of our programs, we have various articles that I've had to pick out and curate. A lot of stuff out there is kind of crap. So I kind of have to sift through it for my students, which is one of the benefits when you sign up with me. So, for example, um, Swancast, their state of security article that comes out once a year. Um, a lot of a lot of my clients from my normal job read that or are part of that. Um, so we we give those towards our students and we talk about it and have in class discussions about it. Another topic or another area how I'm able to stay abreast is since we do caps and we actually bring in high managers, right? I'll actually actually get to sit down with them and talk towards them about some of these topics, right? The students will get to pick their brains on it as well. So that's one way that um we'll do it. And for the quantum computing and AI piece, um. I honestly feel I'm not smart enough to go into depth about how all that works and how all that would change the world. Um, but for me, how I, from what I've been told from like the older heads is a lot of the technology hasn't changed that much. It's just how it just changed how it's been marketed. Right. I guess, for example, I think we back in the nineties and eighties, people sold their source resources from the mainframe. They did that for decades, basically. And when cloud computing did that, it just slightly changed it, right? And they just market that better, basically. So even though the underlying technology may be the same, people might just want to market it better, right? Kind of kind of how like all these companies are saying, hey, our stuff has AI in it, even though that same feature's been with that product for the past 10 years. And I'm like, I've been using this for the past 10 years. I'm like, what are you talking about? So that's how, kind of how I see it. I like I like that you use your CTI skills to curate relevant information for your clients and students. <laughs> That's, I saw that. So I like that. Guy. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a good place to take a break and we will be right back. Thanks for listening to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. We're grateful you give us your time and attention every week. If you dig the show, we have a new way for you to support by becoming a member. Lend your support in the form of a one-time donation 
or join one of our membership tiers starting for as little as $3 a month. Each membership tier comes with benefits, including exclusive swag, shoutouts, and even the OG fist and bolt snapback hat. Any support helps offset the cost of producing the show, and we can do more fun things like contests, giveaways, and even make more swag. You can find the link in the show notes, and thanks again for listening. Now, back to our conversation with Kenneth Ellington. All right, we're back, and it's the brass tax portion of the show. So we're going to pick up networking again. Kenneth, this is brass tax. So you got a student in front of you. They're coming into the academy. They're like, what are your top two recommendations for me to do tomorrow to, I guess, extend my network, grow my network, just get better at this? What are your top two recommendations? First thing would be if they don't have a LinkedIn page, create one. That's super important. That's how I reach out towards all my students, right? Um, that's how I've met um, both of you guys, basically. Um, that's how I've gotten all my jobs, honestly. Um, so that's super important. If they don't already have one, we'll teach them how to build one out. Second thing would be to go to a conference and volunteer. Um, it's one thing to go to a conference just as a participant, another thing to go to as a conference as like a volunteer member, right? So do call to papers runs, talk to some of the speakers, right? Be a speaker liaison. Um, which I did when I was back in college, you'll meet a lot of super cool people and you could have a lot of one-on-one time with them, which will help you build those relationships a lot easier. Nice. I dig that. Um, George, you have this experience, especially with the CyberX crew. Yeah. If you can go to a conference, that's one thing. And typically like just ticket prices are prohibitively expensive for some, but if you volunteer and get you in for free and then you're like, inside the kingdom right you're inside the doors and you know you get in i see it all the time there's always some conversation over by the wall someone's like okay well what are you interested in what do you want to learn more about it's a it's a golden opportunity so good call on the on the volunteering it's also to speak to your yeah to speak to your earlier point too kenneth um it's a really it's a good way to get away from that whole direct super creepy like you know, nice shoes, want to hook up sort of conversation <laughs> when it comes to cyber jobs. If you're a volunteer and like a, an executive at the conference is like, you know, they're talking about something like, let's say they're asking you to help them out with something or help them find something. And you're just a decent person. You do a good job. They'll remember you, right? That opens the door. So then, you know, a couple, couple good interactions, you kind of build up to that. And that's probably something you teach your students. Like, you know, it takes, um, Gotta get those reps in. Baby steps. Yeah, get those reps in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so for kind of my my brass tax question, and not not like we're just promoting your school the entire episode, but I want to (laughs) know, I want to get into SecOps, and I have no programming experience. Where should I start? So, probably language I would probably teach them right is probably Python, right? Um, By by my natural trade, I did Java development. It was awful. That's why I went back to cybersecurity because uh, <laughs> building business applications from Java got awful. So right now I'm about to do a presentation for um, Python actually. So Python's very flexible. It's a very good scripting language. Either that or learn Bash, which we teach inside of our program as well for some of the shell stuff we do for implementing Swamp. So those are probably the two languages that I would probably suggest towards them. We can help them out with. Very cool. That's actually really good information because I get asked that all the time and I'm just like, well, what do you what do you want to do exactly? And then it leads in this whole like long-winded conversation that ultimately boils down to okay, just learn Python and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Python's not too hardy either. 
I mean, I'm stupid. I learned it. So yeah. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. Anyways, back to you, George. All right. So you started in threat intelligence, uh, and now you're working more in the SimSor orchestration bit. So what are your brass tax recommendations for people who I'm going to phrase it in two different ways. Let's say they want to enter the field, but they don't know what they want to specialize. And I'm asking this because I see a lot of newcomers. They generally gravitate towards pen testing because I think they think, you know, cyber hacking, whatever. And then they go like full bore on all the certs. They're like, I want all the certs. I want to hack all the boxes. I want to do all the CTFs. They just go like really narrow, really fast. Right. And then maybe a year or two, they're like, oh, I maybe I don't I'm not so but they've invested a lot of time in it so like any recommendations for like how you can switch disciplines or sort of move laterally inside of cyber or upskill in a different direction like what what's your take there I'll say I'll say in the job market um, being flexible is super important the more flexible you are the easier it will be for you to land a role um so normally what we try to do for our students is we never try to target certain companies that are really normally good fits, right? So maybe CrowdTrack or Palo Alto, because they're vendors, they're much more likely to take a chance on you, right? They can train you in their technology stack, basically. So for example, if Palo Alto has like a business development role or business, or business systems analyst role, that isn't technically cyber, but you're still a cyber company. Um, normally we tell them, hey, take that role. Then in a year, you can pivot and transfer it into like a cybersecurity engineer or analyst role. Because you're inside, inside of that firm, it's way easier to actually meet with those hiring managers and those team members and do, do some extra work to showcase what you're willing to do for them, right? And then you're able to land a cybersecurity role a lot easier that way. Nice. This is like super pragmatic. Again, on the face of it, it sounds logical. And yet, out here in the world, I don't see that approach. I just see like just banging on doors for like that entry level uh, pen tester role. But like, if like 15,000 people are applying to that job, like it's, it's real hard to get, to get by. So let me ask you this kind of, um, let's say like I get that entry level cyber job. Like I'm a, I'm a level one analyst. I'm a junior analyst. I want to step up my game. Let's say like you talked about as well. I'm an introverted person. I like wearing my hoodie, like being in my room with the lights off and just looking at scripts, looking at alerts. It's okay. It's normally my lights are off. I'm only I'm only on lights on because we have a you know you're, we're talking to you, and then you should probably see what my face looks like. Um, so my question is, if I want to make that jump from junior to intermediate or potentially to senior, and that's probably going to involve having to talk to some clients and talk to people, how does a traditional introvert like what's the thought process as you go through to be able to handle kind of those higher pressure conversations that maybe you're not quite used to. And that really, really, when it boils down to it, like, I know I'm not the only CISO that has this opinion. The difference between a junior analyst and a senior analyst is the ability to talk to executives, talk to clients, talk to boards. How do you, from an introverted position, build up the comfort, the capacity and the confidence to be able to do so? Um, I'll just say learn how to serve people, right? It's the biggest thing for me. Um, everyone has their own issues, right? Some may be having a bad day. Some may just got a divorce or got broken up with a girlfriend or boyfriend. So making sure that wherever they are in their life or at that point in the day, right? Um, the best part of their day is talking to me, right? 
So I try to be as compassionate and empathetic as possible. I learned that through Publix and people would curse me out over like a sandwich. People would throw <laughs> their food in like the trash. I'm like, hey, I'm like, it's okay. Like, I can help you out. I'm like, what do you need? So just having that type of mindset is super important. A lot of times their jobs may be in the line or they may have like a really stressful job, right? So I just want to be that consultant that's there, that just there to help them out with whatever need they may have, right? I may not have the answer right at the moment, but I can find one of my team members that can help them out, right? That's probably the biggest thing. I guess people are afraid to tell people, hey, I don't know something or I'm not sure how to do this, but just be honest, right? Because it's one thing to tell them that. And then um, there's another thing to say, you know what, George, I got this. And then a week later comes, all right, all right, Kenneth, where's it at? I'm like, oh, I didn't do it, right? <laughs> now they're going to be pissed at you, right? So <laughs> it's, it's okay. Just tell them, like, hey, I'll get back towards you at, towards the end of the day and I'll have the answer for you then, right? But just don't like be yes or lie to somebody. I've seen it happen all the time. This is end well. I appreciate you, Kev. That's 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 good advice. Yeah, there's a recent study that showed counterintuitively, patients feel more comfortable when doctors tell them, "I don't know, let me go look that up." But and they've tried; they're now trying to teach med students this because med students think that they need to know everything, right? They've just spent scads of money and four years trying to cram a whole bunch of medical literature and, and history into their minds. And so they feel on their back heels. So I, I like that you raised this point of uh, don't be afraid to say, I don't know, and, and be honest and open with that. Um, to this instruction piece, right? So you discovered, you know, you you had this meteoric journey in terms of your skill set, but then you discovered, despite being an introvert, you a liar, you like engaging with people you like teaching them so my brass tacks question here is for others out there who feel like they have something to give i guess how did you get into that or what recommendations would you give to them to like get started and it could be small it could be like mentoring one-to-one or it could be like just doing a workshop but i know there are a lot of people out there who maybe just have imposter syndrome and they feel like, oh, I, I still don't know enough, but they've been in the game like 15 years. They got plenty under their belt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the best way I like to put it is um, you don't have to have 40 years of experience in cybersecurity and work at NASA to teach somebody, right? That's not how it works. For example, if I if I want to become like an NBA player, I wouldn't go to hire LeBron James, right? There's no way I can afford his prices and, or his skill set, right? So I'll talk to maybe maybe like a, maybe like a local college student, right? Who's who's like D one or D two, right? You can be two steps ahead of somebody and then teach somebody like one step behind you, right? And then just keep on doing that process as you gain more skills and skills, right? You don't have to be twenty years in the game to try to teach somebody. That's not how it works. Um, so just have that type of mindset. And honestly, the worst thing they're gonna worst thing they can tell you is no, right? Don't ever be afraid to ask somebody, right? You don't because from my mindset again, like close mouth don't get fed, right? There have been many opportunities where I've been afraid to ask somebody. And then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. And I ask them and I get like a positive response, right? So just have that type of mindset. We're all human beings again, right? We're not going to beat you up or go to your house. So just just ask the question, basically. Yeah, it was like, that's uh, that old, like, was it like Babe Ruth quote or Michael Jordan? It's like, yeah, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Kobe. Yes. Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yeah, it's Kobe. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, cool. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening. Uh, I don't know if you have any classes tonight to teach, but we appreciate the time and you sharing your experience. Of course. Thanks, Kenneth. Happy to be here.
Absolutely. Well, we will talk to you soon. Catch you around, my friend. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That wraps up this episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. If you liked this conversation with Kenneth Ellington, check out our interview with Martin Oresnik. Consider leaving a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. New episodes of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks drop every Monday. Listen and subscribe. We'll catch you next week. But until then, stay real. I took a look on your on your LinkedIn. I didn't see you. My apologies. Uh, no, I blocked that out on purpose. People leave me alone. People keep trying to reach out towards me. I got duped by the CTI guy. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah, diminish diminish the OSINT capabilities as much as possible.